Hey guys, this is Bruce. Welcome to Convo Courses. And every week I do this, we're talking specifically about cybersecurity from GRC perspective, governance, risk, and compliance. A lot of people are not talking about this, and that's why I continue to do it. I get tons and tons of questions, um, a lot about NIST 800 and uh, people trying to get into the job market. A lot lately, a lot of job, uh, a lot of uh, questions about how do you get in? Where do you start? Things like that. And this is really just open topics. But if you have a specific question uh, for me, especially if you are in my books or if you're in my courses or whatever, it's a great opportunity to talk to me about it. I'm going to start off with a question I got from Facebook about um, about retaining work and, and where to find it, what to do. And so this person says that they're in a dilemma. They said their company that they work for, they're an ISO and information system security officer and they have a bridge contract and it it lasts till the beginning of november wow this is um what i've gone through before it said my company is asking me to submit my resume for another contract where i would commute once a day whereas the previous job was was remote um same pay and potentially with a new company to there is potentially a new company to recruit me to stay on the same contract of the government uh agency expresses desire to to stay and in other words the government might just keep him and then just they'll roll into another company and to be honest i feel like i'm already underpaid and i'm even though i'm 100 remote and um they said if you were in my position what would you do and and well okay so i've been in this position before this is very interesting so what they're saying let me just break it down for you so they're in a position where their company lost the con their their contract is in fluctuation like their their contract is out of here and so another company is coming in and they have a government contract so let's say it's uh fda or something right food and drug administration and there's contractors that come in like let's say northrop grumman has a contract with had a contract with fda and lockheed martin just won the contract and so the other companies about northrop lost the contract so now they he's wondering like what do i do like they're they might retain me but maybe they won't and then the company that i work for they have another job for me i've been in this exact position before and uh it's very stressful especially if you have a family to be in that level of i mean being a contractor is already you know it's already not super stable but then like, when you get in these recompete situations and stuff, it's very, very stressful. So I'm going to tell you what I did. So here's what I did. So as soon as this kind of stuff happens, I just start applying for jobs aggressively. And this is what I told them to do on Facebook. I just told them, I think it was Facebook. I just start applying for jobs aggressively. So and I was going to keep it real with you guys, like with companies the way things are going now, maybe, you know, 60 years ago, 50 years ago was different where you could have company loyalty and stuff. But nowadays it's just not like that anymore, especially as a contractor. You know, there's some exceptions to the rule. I've heard about some companies like really, really taking care of their people and paying their people well and have great benefits. And and what I've found is that's like one in every 20 companies or something, maybe maybe one in every hundred. I don't know. I've never worked for a company like that. The companies now are basically they get contracts with, especially if they work for the government. I don't know why it's like this, but it's very, very competitive. 
And um, so companies are kind of coming and going on contracts, right? They're just kind of coming and going. And so whether or not they retain you is they may not. So what I what I do is as soon as there's a recompete, as soon as there's you don't know if they're going to keep you or they're on a bridge contract and there's another company supposed to retain you, maybe. Right. And sometimes I've been in situations where they did retain me. Another company left. Another company came in. They retained me. But then I've been in another situation where they didn't. They just let us all go. And then they hired new people. They hired a bunch of new people. And we were sure they weren't going to do that. And um, they did. And uh, it happened. So what I do, as soon as it's in a recompete, as soon as it's on a bridge contract, whatever, I just start aggressively putting my resume everywhere. I, I even pay for that. There's a LinkedIn service where you pay $30 a month or whatever, and it, it boosts your resume up. Your profile gets boosted up in front of more recruiters. That works, by the way. That thing works. And I'll do it for as long as I'm, I'm looking for a job. And then I'll aggressively start. I'll update all my resume stuff. I'll go through and clean it up. You can even go through like a resume service. Like now is the time to start spending money. Like if you're if if they've you lost the contract and and you know that within a few months you're going to. And he says he's trying to get a remote job. So that's even more aggressive. If you try to get a remote job, they're really competitive, especially the good jobs that pay well. They're very, very competitive. So you got to start now. It might take you two, three months to find that that really good paying remote job. So I, what I do is I just start putting my, re I update my resume and just start putting it everywhere. I put it on LinkedIn, on Dice, on Monster. And then I start applying for jobs, not just posting it, but applying for jobs, like looking for the ones that I fit and then just start applying, 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 applying aggressively until I, I probably apply for like 50 or 60 jobs, maybe a hundred jobs. And out of that hundred jobs, I might get, I might get 50 people contact me back right? That's legit. Like it might be 75 or what all of them, but there's like 50 of them that I'm like, okay, this is, this lines up with what I'm trying to do. Then I'll comb through those and I might find 10 that feel really good. Like they're really lined up. And then those people contact me back. I'll go through the screener and out of those 10, I might narrow it down to like three, right? It might come down to three. And then if I don't get something, an interview out of those three, normally I'll get like one interview out of those three. But if I don't, I start all over again to start applying for a whole bunch of new jobs. So that's kind of what I do. And um, it really, really works. Um, and, and if I was in this situation, I just start aggressively applying right now. Do not wait for the company to give you a new position because they might not. Do not wait for the new the company that's coming in to give you a new position. Do not wait for them to, quote unquote, retain you because they're trying to the new company coming in. The reason why they won the contract usually is because they bid lower. Meaning the government. Um, unfortunately, this is just how capitalism works. Like they're gonna go for the lowest bidder. So, and that this sucks that 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 is happens like that. But they're gonna pay. They're gonna go to the corporation that's gonna pay the least. Uh, that that needs the least amount for the for the most amount of work. And they're gonna go for that contract uh, a lot of times. And then they're gonna end up paying people less or the same or whatever. So that's what I would do. Let me see. I got some stuff coming from LinkedIn. Um, appreciate you guys. Uh, let me see. How you doing, KP55? Good to see you. Um, how you doing, uh, Maha Madani? And uh, let me see. I've got some more people popping in here. 
Uh, how can I get one of your books? Are they are they on Amazon? Yes, David. So I do have books. Just so you guys know, um, this this video is sponsored by uh, me, myself, my books. So if you go to Amazon, you type in cybersecurity, Bruce Brown or combo courses, you'll find my books there. I've got books on um, cybersecurity frame uh, security framework, a NIST cybersecurity framework. I've got books on NIST 800 series. I've got books on just what I'm talking about, like how to get a job, how, how I've been able to retain the job and get remote work and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, that's that's the kind of stuff that I've been working, working on, just focusing on that topic right there. Best practice, best security practices. If you happen to be new to this, it'll break down in very simple terms what exactly you need to know for cybersecurity uh, as a cybersecurity person. It's really good for people who are beginning who like don't really know what they really want. It might be a good read for you, but it's all it's best for people who are already IT professionals already in the help desk and want to transition, or you have been thrown into a position where you're doing compliance and then you want to learn more because that's all I do is compliance. I'm not a pen tester. I'm not a cybersecurity analyst, um, an analyst. I don't, that's not what I do. Like I've done a little bit of that stuff before, but that's not like right now I'm a compliance guy. So that's why I can really speak to. Um, let me see. I got some other questions here. Um, Madani says, um, how are you doing by the way? Um, she says, I need to start with this training. I just, uh, want to shadow someone to understand. I know everything theoretically. I need to work to understand it better. I understand what you mean. Um, there's a lot of folks that that teach from a theoretical perspective, but you want to know like what do you do day to day, right? That's that's where you want to. I know I know this. I know how you <laughs> what you mean. You said your books are great. Um, they helped a lot. Thank you. So the. the I wrote the book specifically because this is what I wish I would have had when I first started. I would read like the NIST 800 or at the time it was um, I was in D Department of Defense and I would read like 8500 or whatever. It wasn't even called that. It was something else like it was certification and accreditation. And I'd read through it and I get a general idea of kind of where they were going as far as meeting FISMA, the Federal Information uh, Security Modernization Act of 2002 and 2014 or whatever it is. They're calling it these days. I get an understanding because I'd read through it, but it's like, dude, what do I do? Like now, what do I do? Like I get what you're saying and why, but where? What do I do? Where? So I wish somebody would have wrote that for me. So that's what I wrote. Like in those books, the NIST 800 series is about like what do you do as an information system security officer, as a compliance person, as a GRC person? What do you actually do for this particular standard? I'm gonna write one for HIPAA. I'm going to write one from ICE for ISO 27001. I'm going to write one for, I'm going to try to keep it uh, to GRC type topics, but these all take me a while to write and I, I coordinate with other security guys. So that's why it takes me a while to, to put them out, you know, so uh, that's kind of what I'm doing. And I write it from the perspective of what do you do? Like, what's the practical, like, okay, here's the law. Now, what do I do with this? Like, that's kind of where I want to focus because I wish I would have had that when I first started. It would have really been really nice to have. Somebody said FedRAMP. That would be a good one to write, actually. FedRAMP. I've gotten a couple requests for FedRAMP. Um, Adam says AI is the first. AI is in the rise right now, but um, AI is in the rise right now. What do you see? Um, 
do you see risk in using AI in companies? Yes. You know, I actually wrote a book about this. So there is a risk to using AI in companies. And I'll give you a specific example. And this is one of the things I wrote in the book. Um, what company was it? Samsung. So Samsung, when ChatGPT started blowing up and everybody was using it, it's very useful, right? It's, it's extremely useful for writing. It's extremely, I don't know if you've used it before, but I use it a lot. And it's really, really useful, especially for writing and technical things. There's so many things it breaks down and simplifies. It's a really good tool, but there's some problems. <laughs> there's a couple of real bad problems with it. Okay. So Samsung, they allowed their, their, their employees to use it within their company. And the in, the engineers start using it and they were they were trying to they were trying to figure out this problem that they were having with one of their some drives or something some technology some new proprietary technology that they it wasn't released to public and they put it into ChatGPT to figure out what this problem was and they couldn't figure it out or whatever but ChatGPT helped them a little bit so <laughs> what happened was they told management like yeah we use chat and they were like you use ChatGPT on our proprietary information. Turns out, ChatGPT is put in the in a cloud where it is accessible by other people. So you can't confidentiality is a problem. You, they're not keep you're not keeping your stuff secret if you're if you're putting it in ChatGPT. If you have any secret information, if you have any proprietary private information, any kind of pu publicly uh, any kind of PII, any kind of healthcare information that's that's HIPAA, that must be HIPAA compliant, you know, like that one of the patients has cancer or and their name, you put their full name and then you have the cancer and you try to get a diagnosis. That's against HIPAA, right? Like what I'm trying to say is ChatGPT is an open system. <laughs> so if you post anything in there, other people within ChatGPT, the people who maintain it, it's in a cloud. So that means a server elsewhere is being maintained by somebody else. So technically, ChatGPT has access to any information you put in there. So it's it's really not good to use that publicly available platform or any one of them, by the way. Bard, that goes for Bard or Complexity, or I think it's called Perplexity. That's another one. There's tons of them out there, but it's a platform. You put your stuff out there and, and it's, it's going to help you out. If you put your stuff out there, just know it's 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 going to be available to someone else, right? And, and so the reason why uh, Samsung was alarmed because I don't know if you remember, but ChatGPT had this uh, a leak of information, like where when you're on ChatGPT, you could see other people's um, other people's prompts. They fixed this problem, by the way. It's a security issue because if you had a private prompt where you said, uh, you know, how do I get rid of this STD or something like that, <laughs> somebody else will see that prompt. And right. So that's private information. But somebody else, they, everybody could see each other's prompts for about like a few days. And they they've discovered the issue. And they they fixed it. So now it's, that is fixed. But the point is, you can't put proprietary information on ChatGPT. So that's one of the issues with ChatGPT using it uh, in, in an environment. So that's one of the many issues. Another one is that. What I found is when I use it, it just hallucinates a lot and gets a lot of information wrong. That's flat out wrong. Like it, it, sometimes it'll just come up with some crazy fake facts and it just out of the blue. I'm like, where the hell did it get this? It turns out it just makes shit up sometimes.
So you got to double check. There was this case where this lawyer used ChatGPT for a case. I don't know if you guys heard about this. And uh, I, I don't remember what state it was, Virginia or West Virginia or North Carolina. I don't remember what state. But he was going to a case for his client. His lawyer was prepared using ChatGPT. And, and ChatGPT, it came up with like, um, you know how they'll use another case from from the past in order to, to plead their case, you know. And th their client was going against an airline and ChatGPT said, oh, yeah, in this case in 1975, um, the people versus John Doe, this blah, blah, blah. And it turned and it, he presented that as a part of his case, like to back up his client or whatever. And it turns out and the judge was like, I never heard of this case before. I know you, you can kind of see where I'm going with this. I never heard what this about this case before. Like, what what's this case? And it turns out ChatGPT made it up. It made up a random case like it just makes shit up. So you got to double check everything it says because it'll just make shit up. And then sometimes it'll just get shit wrong. Like I was writing a book about NIST 837, which is risk management framework. Right. And I was using ChatGPT. I was like, OK, give me a break. I wrote something and I put in like, what do you think about this? Right. This is how I use it. I use it to assist my writing. So I'll, I'll write something and I'll say, what can you make this better? Like what flaws do you see in this? And it started talking about risk management framework, but it was talking about the old standard. And because I'm a, a subject matter expert in this, I caught it. I'm like, yo, this is wrong. <laughs> this is wrong information. It was giving me wrong information on like security controls. It was I had to double check everything it said because I saw stuff that was off. I'm like, oh, shit, this is not this is really wrong. It was pulling because what it does is it's, it's an it's like a very fancy autocorrect system. And it's pulling the way it autocorrects is mathematically. So it takes all this information that it's learned from the Internet back from 2021, by the way. So the information that it used and tr was trained on is old information. So and even if it uses current information, the most of the information for risk management framework 837 is from revision one. Most of the stuff on the Internet right now is from the old revision. So it was pulling from the old revision and it was given wrong information based off of the old stuff. I'm like, damn, this is wrong. I have to rewrite everything. I'm like, damn, OK, let me fix. Let me fix this. Let me fix that. My, this moral of the story is um, it's helpful as a tool, but it's helpful in the same way that Grammarly or, or spell check is helpful. Like it's great for an for an assistance but it's not good to just generate some shit and then just give it to your leadership and be like, yep, here we go. Or take to a case like it's not it's it's helpful to like give you ideas or break down an outline or like help you with things. But it's not good for just like taking stuff and putting it out there. Or, and then there's a bunch of like um, confidentiality issues to worry about as a tool. It's awesome. Like it's going to be really good when you integrate it with like Splunk and other security tools. It'll be really helpful to like figure out like command line interface. It'll be really helpful for like menu, like you be able to ask it questions and it will like it's good with that kind of stuff for like uh, interactive. But it's, it's it can't it shouldn't rely on it too much because it's just not it doesn't have the level of assurance that you would need at a large company and insurance firms like it. I mean, imagine this thing being at a bank or being in like handling your funds or handling people's lives and it's making shit up. Like 
it's not there yet, right? It's just not, it's a really good tool, but it's just not there yet. All right, let me see. I got some questions here. Let me just pop over to TikTok. I'm not ignoring you guys. I just got, I'm on three different platforms or four different platforms. So I get questions from all over. So I'm going to go to TikTok real quick and go to, man, so many, so many people chimed in here. Um, somebody said it's also not creative. AI is also not creative. I disagree with that. It's it's a good help for creativity. The problem with the creative portion is that it'll come up with an amalgamation of other people's work, which brings up copyright issues. You've got to really worry about plagiarism with AI. It it's creative in 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 the same way like a, a parrot is creative. You know what I mean? Like it's not it's 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 taking a bunch of stuff. It's not fair to to compare it to a parrot. It's it's it's, it's very very advanced. But it'll take a bunch of different like let's say you wanted to write a a creative story, a fiction story about a dystopian cyberpunk future. All it's going to do is take a whole bunch of stuff from other people's ideas and put them together and come up with something slightly, some variation of it. And it'll change the names, of course, in some of the scenarios. And it'll, and the problem with that is you got copyright issues because some of it, sometimes it's like word for word directly from some something somebody else wrote. So you got to really worry about plagiarism. And somebody says, I mean, it won't come up with new ideas the same way a hacker thinks to exploit something. And I I can't speak on that. I'm not AI dude. And I don't know how creative it is, but I, I've i seen it do some fucking dope stuff with with uh, writing and um, hacker uh, making finding exploits. I mean, it's just incredible. But it's again. It's pulling from what it already has learned and it is kind of putting those things together and then coming up with something else. So it, if if that's all you need, then then that's good. But if you're trying to like write a book that's going to be a bestseller and that thing gets it blows up because this has happened to a couple authors. They made they generated a book from AI and then they put it out there and then it turns out it's somebody else's like word for word, some of the pieces are from somebody else. And the same thing with art, like it'll create art. Like Mid Journey had this issue early on. I don't know that it's still doing this because they're getting advanced now to where they, they can come up with their own stuff and they don't have to worry. They don't have to pull from other. But in the beginning of Mid Journey and Dolly, it was just pulling other people's art and then like modifying it a little bit. And sometimes you could even see people's name <laughs> in the art. And so as we're just not there yet. I mean, I've been, eventually maybe it'll we'll get there, but right now, you know, we've got a ways to go. Madani says exactly. I had an interview as an assessor. Everything was perfect before he started asking me what artifacts you would, uh, what artifacts you would ask for when applying for AC controls. Hmm. What artifacts? Would you ask for when applying AC controls? Okay, so it's asking in the interview, I'm the assessor, and they're asking me what artifacts, what would I use as proof 
to validate whether or not AC controls have been implemented. So off the top of my head, there's a couple of them. I used to do a little bit of, I mean, in a couple of organizations, I've done a little bit of uh, assessments, risk assessments and um, security control assessments and all kinds of assessments. So what AC, what artifacts? So a couple of them. Um, you might look at, well, see, AC controls is a very broad area. So it covers remote uh, uh, remote management. It co covers mobile uh, devices and it covers uh, it covers um, I believe Wi-Fi as well. And then it also covers, of course, uh, overall uh, access control. So the very first things I would look for as an artifact would be the the policy. What can I see the security control policies that talks about the organization's implementation of access controls? So that's one of the things I would look for, the policy that breaks down how the organization is implementing the security control. Then another thing you could look for is, and once I saw the a policy, I would look through the policy to see if it was one signed by upper level leadership and how recent it has been reviewed and when's the last time it was it was modified or reviewed or or updated that's the, i would look at those things on that artifact the next thing if they have their policy together that's great now let me see your procedures like do you have any procedures for implementing uh access controls within your environment right and if, and if they wanted to know more details, I say, OK, well, how do you guys access your your when you, you guys have Windows servers here, Windows 19? So do you guys have um, pr procedures of for implementing the controls on those Windows 2019 servers or whatever? I would want to see those procedures if they had them. So that's those are two different artifacts you could use. Um, another one might be you could also look at GPOs. GPOs will show different uh, the policies that were actually implemented within an environment to show whether or not access controls are so those practical type things are things that you know that they're going to ask you that in interviews because theory is one thing that's great that you know what access controls are and how to break them down but then they're going to be like okay well what are what would you implement right so that's why I talk from a perspective of like my my book eight eight hundred. When I talk about eight hundred dash thirty um, fifty three, is where I'm talking about things like that. And then if you go to the I don't know if you if you have my book, it it takes you to a page where I it's a bunch of downloadables and it has templates that are what the art artifacts would look like. So some of them are samples like actual samples that i've curated and put up and uploaded and some of them are like templates you could use for an environment uh, let me see um not a lot of books on engineering tools such as splunk qdar stigs and scap you know why you know why like it's too hard to it's as soon as you write those books they're out of date that's the problem with writing. People have asked me many times to do like a stig breakdown or a scap breakdown or something like that. The problem with those is that as soon as I make a video even of stig, the stig viewer, for example, they'll change the interface for stig viewer and it's just a pain in the ass. 
right? Your book is outdated as soon as you put it out, especially with Splunk or QRadar, QRadar, something like that is like, it's just too hard to, as soon as you write it, it's already out of date, right? But if I write a book for NIST 800, that's not, those change like every four or five years. They're not going to change next week. As, as soon, I guarantee as soon as you write a book, and then it takes like four months sometimes. If you want to do be very thorough, it's going to take you four or five months to write a real extensive book on Splunk. And as soon as you're done with it, they change all the, even if you have screenshots, they'll change the freaking interface just like that. And then if you update it, then they'll change it again. You're like, damn. So there's some basic commands in Splunk you could probably get away with. But as soon as you start doing like screenshots of the interface and stuff, that's why a lot of people just won't. It just changes too often. You know what I mean? Um, somebody said, can you can a SOX analyst get into FedRAMP continuous monitoring? I don't know enough about Sarbanes-Oxley uh, to know whether or not it how much it lines up with FedRAMP continuous monitoring. But I will tell you this. FedRAMP is essentially just another just another way of going about the NIST 837 and the and a application of the NIST 853 in a, in a cloud environment for the government. It's the same thing. They, they, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of differences uh, from FedRAMP from the there it's using uh, the NIST 800 the NIST special publications to do the same thing. It has all of the same uh, the same steps that you use and all that stuff. And so the NIST 800 lines up with, with many other um, security compliance frameworks, including Sarbanes-Oxley, um, PCI DSS, and uh, HIPAA, which is just a bunch of rules um, for the healthcare industry. So all of them kind of line up. Give me an example. Like every every one of these is going to have something about um, is going to have something about um, um, audit logs. For example, all of them are going to have something about audit logs because that's a best security practice that's that's universal. So there's going to be certain features um, that the Sarbanes Oxley is going to have that NIST 800 is going to have. So. That said, if you have experience in Sarbanes-Oxley, you can um, very quickly pick up something like the NIST 800 or ISO 27001. So I'm absolutely sure that there's a lot of overlap with continuous monitoring and Sarbanes-Oxley because they all are talking about the same best security practices. If you know one, you pretty much know all of them. You have experience doing that, even though they they call it something different. So what I do is I leverage what I already have done and my knowledge base with things like NIST, um, uh, with things like PCI compliance and not saying, oh, yeah, I've done PCI compliance because I did NIST 800 or something like that. What I mean is I can read through PCI uh, DSS and I could say I'm familiar with um, capable of using PCI DSS um because and then when they ask me about it on the on the interview, they look at my resume and say, I see you have PCI DSS experience. And I could just say, no, I don't, which I do have it. But I said, no, I don't have experience with PCI DSS. I've not done that before. 
But this continuous monitoring piece, I've done that before with NIST 800 with, with the uh, FDA. So I, I'm very familiar with the practices that are in PCIDS. You see what I'm saying? So I could use the, I could leverage what I've already done. And if you've done help desk before, you can actually leverage a lot of the experience doing uh, best security practices with getting into GRC. You just got to know how to word it. And you got to know what they want for PCI DSS. I mean, for, for GRC. I hope that helps. Uh, let me see. I got a couple other. Whoa. This, <laughs> this is crazy. Got some folks on. Uh, somebody says, I have an exam in three days and barely studied. Also, CYSA plus in a month. Which, which exam are you are you doing, if you don't mind me asking? And you said you have the CYSA plus. Oh, that's really great for becoming an analyst, a cybersecurity, a SOC analyst, security operations center analyst, entry level. CEH. Oh, CEH. That's a that one that one get you paid. Do you have any experience on um, doing pen testing? Are these bulls good to have? So I would say, yeah, yeah, of course. Of course, they're good to have. Of course, they're good to list on your resume. But the next thing you need to focus on is, I would say, get some practical experience. Like build a lab, start doing actual pen testing if you're doing CEH. CEH is a very, it's a paid certification. Um, the practicality of the CEH from what I've heard from hackers is not great. They, they don't really like it. Um, they like things like the, there's some SANS certifications that they like. I like GPIN, I think it's called. And then there's OSC, OS, OSCP from um, the guys at Offensive Security. For This is talking about if you were to go deeper into the pen testing world, that's the ones that they, that they respect. But the help, the um, HR departments and the and the technical recruiters and the people who actually have the money and the, the purse strings is they know what CEH is. They know what CEH is. So CEH is very marketable. It's a very marketable thing to put on your resume. It's really good to both of those together, by the way, are a good combination because a lot of the tools that they talk about, the scripts and the tools and 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 um methodology that they talk about for hacking and pen testing and ethical hacking and stuff and the ceh it it's uh there's a lot of overlap with the cysa because cysa is for uh analysts um cybersecurity analyst work for in a security operating center so a lot of the tools that will be used to hack into an organization uh, could be detected by somebody who uh, has a CYS, CYSA. So they, there's a lot of overlap between the two. They're very good to have, yes. But I would say also get some practical um, experience. What I mean by that is whatever, if you happen to be in school, get ex actual practical experience working in an IT environment, not necessarily doing ethical hacking, but doing just touching systems, right? Um, get some experience um, on any kind of help desk wherever you happen to be. And if you if you can't do that, like talk to the IT guys who are around you to try to get in there. Another thing you can do is projects. Do your own projects. Start working on things like um, 
the CEH talks about tools like InMap, um, like learn how to use InMap like extensively, get good at using InMap, get good at um, learning how to exploit a network, um, the internal aspects of a network and the external uh, aspects of a network. Start download things like um, Tenable Nessus, which is a scanner. Download a network scanner and then play with that. So you can put that on your resume and be like, I have exposure to uh, Tenable uh, Nessus Tenable. And that way, when it come up, comes up in the interview, I said, do you have experience with this scanner or that scanner? Then you'll be able to say, I yeah, I know how to use it. I haven't used it in a in a large environment, but I have messed around with it. I know how to, you know, I I, I know how I know how the interface is. I know, I know how to set up a scan. I know how to do X, Y, and Z that you have done in your lab. And just be honest with them. Like, yeah, I did it in my lab. I did it X, Y, and Z. And then um, get as much hands-on experience as you can because that's what's going to really matter in the when you go to the interview. They they want to know what you've done. Um, not that you, not just the theory that you know the theory. You need to know the theory too, because when they ask you basic shit about like, what's this port? What's port twenty five? What's port twenty two? What's what? Like you need to know that shit, of course. <laughs> you know, like the basics you need to know. Like it needs to be in your head. So use that, of course, but also have a practical understanding where you get on your computer and like start knowing how to do it. Really, really important really important to get as much exposure hands-on as you can in the beginning of your career. Okay, let me see here. I got a few more comments here. Um, let me see here. Um, what questions What questions will you ask as a stakeholder? Um, what questions would you ask as a stakeholder? From the perspective, um, uh, Madani, I'm, I'm assuming you mean, let me see if there's other questions. Shadowing someone. Okay. Cause I have questions and easier. Great. Okay. All right. So I'm assuming you mean, um, I'm a stakeholder and I'm interviewing you for a job. What questions would, is that what you mean? Or do you mean like I'm an ISO and stakeholders are in, we're in a meeting. I need to know like, what's the, what's the framework? Like, oh, what's the context of the stakeholder, like what, where am I sitting and where is this? I'm the stakeholder. What questions would you ask as a stake? I'll just answer both. I don't know if you'll answer this, but let's say I'm a stakeholder and I'm asking you as a new recruit to come to come in to our organization. Is that what you mean? Or do you mean like we're in a meeting and I'm an, I'm a cybersecurity person. I'm talking to a cybersecurity person. I got to know more context what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't answer the question unless I have more context. Maybe it's in relation to the previous question you asked. Let me see. You said, um, I had an interview as an, I had an interview as an assessor. Everything was perfect before they started asking me about any artifacts that they would ask for when applying for AC um, controls. And then you said, what questions you will ask as a stakeholder? Hmm. Yeah, I need more context. I really need more context. I can answer that like several different ways, but it depends on what you, what situation the stakeholder is in. 
So yeah, give me more context and I can answer that. Somebody said, uh, yes, I use ChatGPT a lot, but sometimes it's not allowed in other companies like in dev. Um, because when they debug their code using ChatGPT, yeah. Yep, right. So if you, you happen to have some proprietary code and then you like, if you put in ChatGPT, there's too much risk involved with another company, ChatGPT, Open OpenAI, or whoever, even Microsoft, getting a hold of that proprietary code that you put in, um, and or it being leaked because it's an open platform, right? So that's really a problem. You know, you can't <laughs> even myself. Like I work in the government. I'm on a government network. I can't use ChatGPT on that government, as far as I know. I'm not I'm not experimenting with that, you know, using that on their network. But what I'll do is I'll have my own personal computer right there or my phone or whatever. And maybe I want to know a Splunk command. And I just don't know the Splunk. I'm on the government system and I need to know the Splunk command. So I'll go to ChatGPT or some AI and say, OK, how do I do? How do I know? Uh, give me a command for Splunk. If I want to know who logged in after hours and it'll give me a command and then I'll just take that command and like, OK, that's how you do it. All right. Got it. You know, so I'll use it like that. But you can't. It does have limitations. So one of the things that an organization can do is make their own proprietary. And we're getting closer to this reality. Make their have their own proprietary instance. Of. Of a, um, a GPT like. AI. So you could have there's one called Llama and one called GPT for all and several others that you can download on a local system. And then you could have you could firewall it. It will be in time inside of your network. So there's no exposure to the Internet like it's not going to the Internet to, to grab things or it's not exposing. You could have certain kind of controls where it's not leaking information. Right. And I haven't heard of anybody doing this just yet. But I think this is coming. So because they have the they have a bunch of open source AI that you can instances that you can download and then train it on your data. This is crazy. You could literally download it on your server locally inside your network. Right. That's not going to leak anything out. You control all access to it. And then you can train it on your information, meaning give it it already know like has a certain level of knowledge. Then you could train it against your knowledge, all your your data, your databases, your information and give it all. And then don't, you're not worried about like proprietary information getting leaked because it's it's firewalled. It's like on a separate network and everything segregated from the Internet. And then it will answer questions based off of your documentation. Uh, and then you could use it just like you would use ChatGPT internally. That's one of the solutions that you could use. But then you got to worry about um, keeping up with certain laws. As far as the federal government's concerned, you'd have to, or anybody who's dealing with any kind of PII, personally identifiable information, they'd have to worry about certain laws about how you're using people's information. And there's, we don't have a clear understanding of which way the government's going to go with AI just yet. So that's another risk factor. We don't really know how. So far, the government's kind of loosely 
put out a couple things like some executive orders about doing more study and research on AI and its impact on society and stuff. But there's no clear guidance that you would get from like, for example, privacy and, and um, healthcare. They have very clear guidance on what you can and cannot do, or what an organization can and cannot do with people's with your information. Do they, they violate it? You know, there's all kind of leaks and all this kind of stuff going on. But there's clear guidance on how the organization can protect itself and the limits to the limits on how much they can use that information and how they distribute it. But there's not a lot going on legally um, for AI just yet. And we just don't there's no precedence for it. it's just so new, you know, and I, I'm sure as we go down the road, it's going to be more important for the government to have some kind of line in the sand about like where how much people can use it um where there's ai assistance or ai generated what can you they do with your pii information what like things like that you know what i mean like there's got to be rules so far the nist came out with something called um nist ai if you type in nist ai there's a framework that they're developing right now but it's not even finalized yet. It's still like in draft. So I'm I'm doing something right now. The reason why I know a little bit is because I've been like researching it so I could write this book to break down like how, like w- what an organization would do. Like how, how would you implement it? And then like what frameworks would you use and like some things you should think about. Um, but there is something out there right now, but it, we're just not there yet, man. Like there's so much risk for an organization to use AI. Um, and on, on, as far as being a part of the supply chain, right? Like where you are authorizing people within your organization to, cause like in the, in that instance where Samsung used AI, they allowed their company to use ChatGPT, their employees to use ChatGPT. And then they immediately used it on a secret proprietary thing that they're working on, on the Samsung phone or whatever. Right. And then, and then ChatGPT had that leak <laughs> and they're like, oh, shit. <laughs> they And they can't get like, what are they going to do? Talk to OpenAI and be like, hey, could you guys delete that? You know what I mean? Like, so it, there's just too much risk right now to put it in your supply chain, I think. Like, we're not there yet. Like, maybe you could put a lab and then like start messing around with it a little bit. But that being said, some organizations are using it. So it would be a smart idea to have a to have legal or compliance people or cybersecurity people come in and and then look at the risk evaluate the risk to your organization if you happen to be using ai and you're you like there's certain things that you think you should think about as you're using it people are using it already like organizations and companies are actually using it and taking that risk but there you should do some evaluation before you go ahead and use it i think if you value money <laughs> and not getting sued. Um, can you use chat GPT for security controls without using sensitive information? Sure. Sure. Yeah, you could. There's things you could do. There's things you can do. Like if you, I just throw some out there that you could probably, you could use if to, one of the problems with NIST 800 is there's, there's over a thousand controls. And sometimes some of the controls are very obscure the way they wrote them in the NIST 800. So what you could do is take the publicly available 
NIST 800 in this 800 53 and go to, let's say control SC 25. I don't even know what that is off the top of my head, but the, sometimes the explanation of it is just really obscure. What you could do is copy and paste it from the publicly available site, put it in chat GPT and, and say, Hey, chat GPT act as a cybersecurity professional with 20 years of experience doing uh, NIST 800 53. Explain to me like I'm five, this particular control copy paste put that description in there and it will it will blow your mind it'll break it down in a simplified way that anybody can understand or you could say you could do something like say um chat gpt create a create a a policy that uh, a policy based on ac controls family ac control family nist 800 dash 37 rev 2 right and then it would it would come up with a little template in, in five seconds that'll break down everything that you need right there now you'd have to have a subject matter expert go through it because it does like it like i said it hallucinates and like it sometimes it's a little off or it'll use the wrong rev so you still need to have like it's great for assistant assistance but it's not good to like 100 rely on you know so Yes, you could use it for security controls or you could say, here's another thing you could do. You could say, like, let's say you were doing security controls for ISO 27001 and maybe you're not super smart on that. That's not your expertise. So you could say, ChatGPT, create, uh, how would I implement this particular security control that's coming from ISO 27001 and then copy paste the actual control. And then you could explain, like, give a summary of what the environment looks like. I have an environment that's in a cloud. Um, this system has exposure to the Internet. How would I implement this control? And then it will give you like a, a list of ways that you could can, you could uh, remediate the control or, I mean, um, protect the control, apply the control, implement the control. So there's there's certain things you do. But what you don't want to do, <laughs> what you don't want to do is take secret proprietary or PII information and then copy paste that information into chat GPT and be like, Hey, how do I, how do I secure this information or something? You don't want to do stuff like that. You know, you don't want to give it, you could be general with it and give it and give you, let it give you an idea of what to do, but you, you don't want to copy, obviously like you don't want to do something like say, um, here's my IP, right? Here's the host name of the system, and here's the vulnerability. How do I protect this chat TPT? Like, you don't want to do that. That's basically you just leaked uh, a vulnerability, and that's, that's sensitive information that you just put in the public sphere. Like, you might as well have posted it on your blog. You know what I mean? Like, that is not good. <laughs> you don't want to do that. You don't want to put, like, hey, here's my social security number, and here's my name. I live in this city. Um, how do I protect myself? How do I protect my privacy? You you might as well post that right on, on your blog. Like you might as well create a blog on wordpress.org and then post all that stuff that you just did and put that, like, you got to be careful with that kind of stuff. So I hope that answers your question. Let me see. I've got some other folks jumping on here. Somebody said, um, you supposed to know that those, that that information is confidential yeah <laughs> yeah but i think that the i think that the misconception is that is that 
I think some people don't understand that ChatGPT is the way it's hosted is is controlled by another organization that's publicly available, right? And other people have access to it. They think that I don't know why, like it, just ignorance, right? They just wouldn't know. Like they they would log in, and they they're maybe they're thinking it's kind of like Gmail or something, which is not. 100% secure is in and of itself. It's also hosted somewhere. They might think it's like Gmail where only I can see it and this company is protecting it. But the thing is, some information you can't take that. It doesn't have the level of assurance that you need, right? If you're just doing private stuff and you don't have any, you, the risk is very small. It's minuscule. The risk is like you have to send your, um, you, I don't know, you, you're trying to uh, start a business and your partner has a Gmail account and you have a business plan that has no specific information and it was just a business plan. The risk is small. Like it's just between you and this person. You don't have, there's no money being transacted, right? Like there's no risk to, but if you have a company and the company is a $4.5 billion company and you have, in your guy, you guys are on Gmail and you're talking about a business deal with the Department of Defense, you don't be using that on gmail like no that's a whole different level of security posture that you have to deal with okay let me see i got some other questions here what questions do you ask stakeholders okay i'm gonna take a crack at this i think i know i understand what you're saying so i'm assuming i'm a what questions would you ask a secure a stakeholder? Okay, great, great. Okay, I think I understand what you mean. I'm um, an SCA. I'm a security control assessor. I'm an assessor. I walk in and I'm trying to assess a, a group of controls. Let's take let's take AU controls, for example. AU controls from the NIST 853 uh, family of controls. You could be an assessor that's uh, evaluating controls on PCI DSS. You could be evaluating controls that are on ISO 27002 or 2001 or whatever. Um, right now, we're doing NIST 800-53 and AU controls, which are for um, event logging, uh, audit logs. So questions that I would ask would be, do you have a security policy that addresses, it all comes back to the security policy. Do you have a security policy that addresses uh, event logging? And they'll say, yeah, you know, here it is right here. Okay, great. Another question I might use to interview. First of all, who am I interviewing, right? I would interview the person who's the subject matter expert on that particular system, right? I would either, it would be either be the subject matter expert on that particular system that I'm evaluating or it would be the compliance person, somebody in the know, a cybersecurity person who would know where the logs were stored, a person who maybe that's their whole profession, that's their whole role is to do audit logging. So I would have to talk to the relevant people, number one. Another thing that comes into play with SCA is how many am I gonna, how many systems are we dealing with? What's the scope of our of our um, assessment, but questions that I would ask to interview that person who's a subject matter expert on it, because I'm not going to ask the janitor, you know, I'm not going to ask, obviously, I'm not going to ask um, the facility manager who would not know that kind of stuff. Um, I'm going to ask them a whole another set of questions. I'm going to ask the subject matter expert who's supposed to know 
um, this particular part of the control family that we're talking about. And in this case, we're talking about AU controls or auto logs. Another question I would ask them is how frequently are logs collected? Another question I might ask them is, um, I might ask them, can you show me where logs are collected, right? And for that, they need privileges. I need to make sure I'm talking to somebody who has the privileges to actually look at those logs because I might want to take a look at them. Now, now I'm testing and I'm interviewing them at the same time. Um, another thing I might ask them is, okay, well, where do you guys store your logs? That's an important piece because they have to be able to recover them. I might also ask them, well, where do you guys, how would you recover the log? Can I, where, how long do you store the logs for? And then how do you recover them if they're storing them on a, a network attached storage device? How do you, like, how do you retrieve those logs? How many other people have access to these logs? Is another question I might ask. These are basically I'm asking them some of the questions that are in. I mean, some of the controls that are so they're supposed to have in the NIST 800. NIST 800 AU1 is policy. NIST 800-2 and NIST 800 AU-1 uh, is policy. NIST 800 AU-2 is have you have they have they implemented? audit logs. I'm just going down the list of things that they're supposed to do. They're supposed to store it for a certain amount of days. And it's not up to me to tell them how long they're supposed to store it. That's why you look at their policy. A lot of the questions that I'm asking is based off of what they say that they're supposed to do from their policy. That's the real secret for all for uh, assessments is that most of the questions are coming from their policy because the policy is explaining what they're supposed to be doing. And so if they're not doing that, that's where, you know, you would say partially compliant or compliant or whatever the rating system is for that organization that you're going. So those are some of the questions. The questions would be based off of what control family you're asking. And of course, who you're asking is very critical because you don't want to ask the right, sub, the, the wrong subject matter expert. So I hope that answers your question. Um, let me answer some more questions. Um, somebody said, if you are using AWS, do you only need cloud uh, watch, cloud watch for logging or third party applications? I'm not an AWS expert. I'm not an AWS expert. I would not know. What is cloud watch? Would you do you only need cloud watch for logging or a third party application? So what we really depend on, on organizations I've been with. Now keep in mind, I'm I'm I don't know anything. I'm not a cloud guy, okay? But whenever I've done FISMA before, it was really based off of what kind of what kind of setup we had for that organization and what kind of setup would determine how they would put that in the policy. All comes back to security policy, baby. So security policy is going to explain the security policy is going to explain how they're supposed to do the logs. A policy is usually broad enough to where it's explaining it on a on a broad level because they might have an AWS, they might also have an Azure system, they might have different cloud Oracle, like they might have three different cloud. So that's why the the policy is not going to go into specifics about what is actually. They don't normally go into specifics. They'll just say something to the effect of, um all cloud systems uh will uh we will collect audit logs from all cloud devices 
all cloud, uh, all logging goes to X service. Somebody, he says, uh, CloudWatch is a service for logging AWS. It records who and what and when logs are in service. Yeah, so that's just one solution, right? So um, the security control, the security policy is going to be broad. It's going to be like, it's not necessarily going to mention CloudWatch. It's going to be like, from my perspective as a GRC person, the first thing I want to see is, does the organization have a policy to even collect any logs, do they have they even have they even considered collecting any logs? Right, that's going to be my first concern. Do you guys collect any logs at all? And if you if you say you are, now what are you using? Now we'll get to the in the weeds. What are you using? And to answer your question, people use all kinds of different logging mechanisms uh, for cloud, and it depends on what cloud they're what cloud um, solution they're using. Because maybe Azure has its own, maybe it uses event logs, you know, maybe they're using that. And then another thing is the organization needs to determine, um, are they collecting the logs on that instance and the actual box that it's on? If they're hosting their own box, is that box, is that hardware that's on-premises also, does that are we getting the logs from there, and then where are those logs going? So it depends on what the organization's uh, needs and requirements are. That's going to determine how we're actually collecting the logs and what. So the solution is kind of um, irrelevant, you know. As long as we're doing it, it the solution is is we just need to do it. Like how are we doing it? And, it, and that the solution also needs to be in for FedRAMP. It needs to be on the like it needs to be approved by that government organization. It says um, from your experience, how much logs do, do you need to collect for HIPAA compliance application? I don't have specific information on on HIPAA itself, but I will say this kind of taking it from a bird's eye view. Um, how much logs are collected is based off of the, the requirements of the organization. Whether I've worked for the healthcare industry or the financial institution or manufacturing or government, it all comes down to what, what are the needs of the organization. And then another thing is what, what, is, the, what is the impact level if that information gets, um, gets exploited? You said typical, typical mental health startup. Okay, a mental health startup. Um, yeah, so that that's definitely HIPAA right there, right? So I don't, I don't know off the top of my head what the HIPAA, uh, the actual HIPAA laws. One place you might look at though is something called HitTrust, uh, Common Security Controls for HitTrust. It's com. It's HitTrust. Google this. Hit Trust uh, CSF, Common Security Framework. And that will give you a breakdown of how you can meet HIPAA compliance. So that that, that should try to lead, kind of lead you in the right direction. But it's still going to, you you got to be in compliance with, with, those, with the rules and the laws. That standard, Hit Trust, is going to kind of guide you through what is, what is the common security practices, what are the best security practices to meet HIPAA compliance. So that's one place you could start and go with, but it's still going to come down to 
what is the makeup of the organ? How many servers do they have servers? Where are they placed? What it's is there's a lot of nuance that's going to have to come into place. And that's where you get in, you get in touch with your, your subject matter experts to see what, how the layout is and how, what you're going to do to collect those logs. And then that's going to determine how many, how many logs you're going to collect as well. Because another really critical piece with collecting logs is, do we have enough space to collect the logs? Like we can't collect every damn thing on these systems. I, I once worked for an organization that, um, it was a uh, high impact, meaning it, they, we had classified information on some system, right? Some system somewhere on some planet somewhere. I'm not giving you any information, <laughs> but we I was in a, a classified environment and we had to collect logs. We knew we had to collect a lot of logs. And like we turned the logs all the way up like we were collecting everything. Like when you move the mouse, it was collecting that. <laughs> and what happened was it filled up the the server. It filled up the storage and then we couldn't do anything. So you don't want to have too much logs, you know, so we had to turn down how much logs we were doing. And, and so all of that's determined by the organization and what you do. But just go ahead and look at something called Hit Trust CSF. That'll give you an idea. Another place you can look at is something called NIST CSF. That'll guide you on all the controls, not just logging. It's going to guide you on the functions the organization should have to do security it's going to break it down by protection detection of anomalies in your environment it's going to go into recovery response it's going to break down everything you need as a startup to start to meet all not just hipaa but any kind of other um, controls and stuff that you need to have as a small startup so nist csf Hit trust CSF. Look up those two things. It'll guide you in the right direction. Um, somebody said, oh wait, somebody said, um, let me see. You got some experts in here jumping in. Oh, oh nice. Somebody said, um, yes, hit trust CSF is used by other organizations that uh, can be a trade-off for HIPAA controls, uh, can tailor or fit can be a tailor or fair. I cannot freaking read, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I apologize for my poor reading. Uh, but somebody said, sometimes the word, the way it's worded, like messes with my head. Um, so they said, yes, hit trust CSF is used by other organizations that can be a, that can be, can tailor or fit for HIPAA controls. So yeah, the hit trust is a, is a great place to start. Another one like NIST CSF is another really good one to like guide you in the right direction um and you can just hire me and i'll just come in there and do it for you like a wizard just wave my wand like freaking harry potter and then bam it's fixed and all i i just need a small fee <laughs> uh then you have to worry about it um anyway uh let me see somebody said um hello uh what are some entry-level security cybersecurity jobs that you recommend so Nee, um, I'm assuming that's how you pronounce your name. Um, what is your background? I can really answer this question for you. But if you tell me your background, whatever it is, if you happen to be in healthcare industry, if you happen to be a tailor, um, you, whatever you do, you just tell me where you start from and I will guide you from there. Because I'm a strong believer is, is that you have to start where you are. And if you start where you are, I need to know where you are first. But if you start where you are, I can tell you where to where you should go. I'll tell you this. 
if you're starting off absolutely from scratch, what you need to do is um, you got to start with basic information technology. He said, yes, that's right. I'm help desk. I'm help desk now. Did some code before and I'm finishing and finishing cybersecurity. Okay. So that's awesome. So you're the perfect candidate. You're the per type. You're the person. Your skill set is the per people who I love talking to because what you guys don't know is that you've already done cybersecurity. And now what you need to do is advertise that on your network, on your, you need to advertise that on your resume and on your profile. Um, the entry level job you should do and you have a cybersecurity degree. Okay, good. So the entry level job that you should do is um, the one that will, the, the one that will take you. Um, it's going to be. There's so many different job titles. This is why I don't like say, oh, you should be a cybersecurity specialist level one, because every organization has a different name for an entry level cybersecurity position. Um, they have different names. They can name it whatever they want. There's no like specific naming convention for cybersecurity. But I will tell you what you want to do is put yourself in the way of those who are looking for somebody with your skill set. And there's somebody right now who needs you in their position. They're willing to pay you a pretty solid amount. Um, but what you need to do is you've got to advertise yourself. The resume stuff, I'm not sure how to embellish. Okay, here's what you do. Check this out. Check this. In fact, let me see if I can demonstrate what I'm about to show you. I'm about to blow your mother effing mind. <laughs> I'm about to blow your mother effing mind. Um, let me see if I can get some access to it. Maybe I can't, and it's gonna ask me for my phone number. Okay, well, while I'm doing this, it's gonna take me a minute to, to log in here. So here's what you do. There's a couple things you can do, but if you're talking free, is what I would do right now if I were you. So you already have a resume, right? Um, number one, you can download my resume for free. Go to combocourses.com. Go to my link in description, link in bio, go there, download my resume. It's going to give you an idea of what's called an ATS style resume. It's a very simplified resume. It doesn't look cute. It doesn't look pretty, but it's a breakdown of how you can use my resume and then use the format and the, and the way that I'm wording certain things to get what you want. Right. Um, number two, what you can do is. Is use chat GPT. Um, use, take your resume, the resume you currently have and tell and copy paste it into chat GPT. And the prompt you can use is create a cybersecurity resume based off the following information and copy and paste your resume and then put in there, it should be an ATS style resume and I'm applying for a cybersecurity role. That's one prompt that you can use. So another thing you can do with ChatGPT is you can take a specific, uh, you could take a specific um, role. Like you can go on LinkedIn. Check this out. This is crazy. You can go on LinkedIn, find a job you want, a cybersecurity role 
that you want, right? Now, be realistic. Say, go for like an entry-level cybersecurity job. Go to LinkedIn, type in entry-level cybersecurity, and then find a whole bunch of jobs and find like one that looks good. Like, okay, I like this one. Copy the description and post, uh, paste it into ChatGPT and say, make, a, make my resume fit the following job. And ChatGPT will do it. It's fire. It's, it's freaking fire. It'll At the very least, it's going to give you an idea of what you should have in your resume to accommodate a specific type of job. Because the problem that I see that a lot of help desk people have, I mean, help desk is is so it's such a great learning environment. It's so you're so far ahead of most people, to be honest with you. Um, you're so far. So many people contact me and they have they have no experience at all. And they don't have any. And they're like, how can I be a cybersecurity person? And I'm like, dude, like you need to start from the help desk. That's what in fact you need to start cracking some books open first. You might not even want to do this. Like this is not for everybody. I always encourage them to learn basic IT first to see if they even want to do this and then go in the help desk job and then learn cybersecurity from help desk. You are already in help desk. So you already have a bunch of skill sets. You already know how to do basic cybersecurity. It's just not probably not in your resume. So now you just need to mold your resume to fit a cybersecurity person. You need to enhance all the things you've done from a cybersecurity perspective. I'm not talking about hacking. Like a lot of people get it twisted. Mm -hmm. They think that you're supposed to be a hacker. Are you supposed to know code? Are you supposed to know? No, 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 no. There's many, many different aspects to cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. It's a very, very, very broad field, right? So you want to do things like you want to put in. I just talked for like 20 minutes about logging. Logging is a huge part of cybersecurity, a huge, huge part of cybersecurity. If you've, ever, if you've ever implemented the logs in an environment, if you've ever reviewed the logs, including system logs, application logs on a system, you've done continuous monitoring. Continuous monitoring is a key word you want to put on your resume. Monitoring is a very, very important part of, of cybersecurity, different aspects of cybersecurity. Cybersecurity is a very, very broad field. Very broad field. I myself, I'm not a programmer. I'm not a hacker. I make $100,000 and I work from home. Like, how do I do this? How, what? It's because cybersecurity is a very broad field. Like, I'm actually a compliance guy. I, I just know compliance stuff. I don't really, I'm not a hacker. I'm, you know, I'm not a hacker. I'm not a, I don't know how to code. You know, I mean, I, I messed around with code back when. And uh, when people were make like, remember Flappy Birds? I was trying to make my own app. So I taught myself the program, right? I went to school for it. I'm just not good at it. I'm just, I'm just suck at programming. I just suck. I'm just not good. You know what I mean? I to, it's just a, it's just a reality I've had to live with. I'm just not good at programming. I pay other people to program. If I need an app, I'll pay somebody else to do it. So the point is, I don't, I'm not a super technical dude. That said, I did work help desk. I did work uh network engineering for a couple of years. I did I have a background, I have a technical background, but I'm not like I don't do that every day. So I, I couldn't I'll be honest with you. If you gave me Windows 2019 and said, hey, set up a DNS server, dude, I'm gonna have to crack, I'm gonna have to go to Chat TPT and Google to figure that out. Cause I'm just not gonna be able to do that from scratch, not in a secure way. 
I'm sure I can go next, 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 next. And I have a DNS server. It's going to have all kinds of security holes in it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I just, I'm not, I'm not in the weeds like that anymore. I'm a, so it's just a very broad umbrella. There's a certain things that you need to put on your resume and chat GPT is going to guide you in the right direction. Another thing you can do to figure out like what, how to, what kinds of things that this market is looking for um, is to look up job. LinkedIn is a great resource. Go to LinkedIn and type in cybersecurity entry level. And instead of looking up jobs, look at people. And pay attention to the people who have who are putting their entire resume. I'm one of them putting their entire resume on the Internet and then read through their resume. It's going to do a couple things. Look at places they worked, like the actual companies, um, the ones with the biggest names. Usually that's like a keyword. Like if you were ever worked at Lockheed Martin at Northrop Grumman at Raytheon at Google at Facebook at any of the Fortune 1000 companies, like those are all keywords that you want. If you have that experience, then you need to put that like you need to make sure that that's listed. Um, even if you worked with them in, as a partner, like whatever, like you need to put that keyword. Another another thing that you want to put on your resume is definitely your 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 degree, right? Another thing you want to put on there because your your cybersecurity degree is going to be a great of uh, keyword, by the way. Another thing you want to put on there is uh, is look at the at how they word what they did. It's really important because LinkedIn has its own algorithm. LinkedIn has an algorithm and it's looking at their resumes and there's a reason why they're on the top. What you're going to notice is the job descriptions and then what they put in the job descriptions is very, very important. Now, you might not the job description, meaning the job title. I mean, the job title is very, very important. So the job title that they put in there is a key word. And you'll notice like some of the top people are going to be in jobs in cybersecurity positions. That said, You'll you'll notice also that the way that they some of the things that they've done and the tools that they've used, you may have used some of these tools yourself as a help desk person. You've probably used things like um, um, some kind of endpoint protection tools. You probably use some of those. You probably use tools for uh, antivirus, anti malware. Um, any of those will do any kind of security tools like that will will help you out. Any kind of scanning. If you had the pleasure of messing around with scanning tools, those work really good. If you've ever troubleshot um, network issues, you probably won't put that on there. That's pretty important stuff. If you've ever used any kind of sniffers on a network, if you've ever used any kind of like I think there's one called Snoop. Um, if you've ever used any kind of tools like that, if you've ever used any kind of SIM tools, if you work with firewall guys, if you've ever helped write a policy or procedure, those are security things that you want to put. If you've ever trained people on basic security awareness, you want to put that in there. These are all things that you want to put on your resume that are like you notice I didn't even I didn't mention any kind of hacking. I didn't say, oh, you need to be an ethical hacker. You need to be, you know, you need to hack things. No, this is. So many other aspects to cybersecurity than just hacking. Like ha hacking is probably, I mean, it's probably 1% of what we do, like to be honest with you. Like the, <laughs> it's probably 1% of what we do, man. It's like a tiny sliver that's just very, it's, it gets so much exposure because it's just cool. 
and it's on movies, you know, it's in like the first scene of the matrix and shit, you know, it's like, it's just cool to use in map and, and hack some into something, you know, it's just very, it's very sexy. It's very attractive, but it's a tiny aspect. Most cybersecurity is not sexy and it's not attractive. It's, 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 it's stuff that I do that nobody else wants to do, but it pays, you know, for me to go on trips and, um, and take care of my family. So that's what's important. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, so those are some things you can do. Hope that helps. Let me see. Other people have some stuff going on. Bruce, what is your email, please? My email, let me see if I can use this. Let me see if I can post my email real quick. Let's see. I can use this ticker right here. Oh, look at that. Oh, that's so cool. Contact at convocourses.com. That's my email. Um, I, I have like hundreds of emails. I have hundreds of, I've got, and I apologize for all the people who I owe you an email. I, I promised a free audio book for my news group and um, I'm working on it. Listen, I'm, I'm so busy. I'm, I, I am so busy. I'm writing books. I have a business. I have a full-time job. My job's going, I guess so many things I got to do with my job before I go on vacation. I just been really busy, but I will get back to you on that free book. I got to give you a code to get into that free book. I have those codes. I just have to take the time to get there and send it to you and stuff and ask you what book you want, all that kind of stuff. So, um, but that's my contact at combocourses.com. I will get your email. I cannot promise you I'm going to do this quickly, but I will, I will interact with you as quickly as possible. I probably need to get a virtual assistant or somebody to help me to get through these emails uh i need to think a little smarter I'm, I'm on one man show right now you know so i need to probably fix my systems um let me see here let me see if i got any other comments here um you can use cloudwatch azure monitor splunk ms defender oh man thank you thanks a lot man appreciate you uh, let me see here. That that was for the question about uh, how you how you would implement auditing for a cloud system. Um, business business continuity, disaster recovery, coop books, or discussions, and some configuration management plan. See, these are these are great books to write. I write I might write every one of these books. <laughs> business plans, disaster recovery, coop books, configuration management. And the reason why those are good books to write is because they're not going to change. You know, they're not going to change. That's best security practices pretty much going to be the same wherever you go. So those are the books you see. You're not going to see a lot of Splunk. Earlier, people, somebody asked a question like, why can't I find books on Splunk or books on, I think they mentioned Tenable or some other tools because they because the vendor keeps changing everything the, the best books come from the vendor themselves and those are boring written in their own language uh their own freaking splunk speech you know it's not gonna be like the, the cool stuff you get off of amazon where they're breaking it down in plain english like somebody well the normal person like myself who's not an academic you know i would i would like to do a book on 
tenable or something like that. But it, they just change things too much. So there's no <sighs> shit. I mean, I, even if I release it for free, like as soon as I release it, they're just going to change it. So it's like a waste of my time to do technical books like that. You know, in the beginning, I was like, oh, I was so excited to do books like that, technical books. I wanted to do one for ArcSight when I first had the information, but where's ArcSight now? Like they changed it a million times. They sold the company to somebody else. Like you, technical books, that's why they're hard to do unless you, I think there's an exception like with those books from uh, those Java books with the animals on them. <laughs> Because they're they're backed by some giant company that can just crank out editions. Like every time there's a change to Java, they can just crank out. Like me as an independent author, I don't have time to crank out one freaking, you know, to just stay on Java for three years every time they change it every six months. But it, <laughs> that's why a lot of the I'm just realizing this as a as an author, as a publisher, my, as an independent, like the reason why. The big dogs are cranking out those because they can. They have the funding and the backing to just keep cranking out those, you know, additions. But me, I don't I don't have that kind of time. Can I be your virtual assistant? Hit me up. There's my email. My email's right here. My email's right here. Um, what what compensating controls would you recommend? to use open AI? Hmm, that's a great question. First of all, I don't know that I would use open AI for a company because there's too much risk. I probably would say, I would probably restrict all my, if I had a company, especially if it was publicly traded or if we were dealing with some kind of sensitive information, um, I probably wouldn't take the risk of, of allowing people to use it. And because there's just too much risk of them posting something they shouldn't post in there. Um, so number one, I just, I probably wouldn't expose myself like that. What I would probably do is I would, I would have an instance of an AI that I would could download and control. I would use like a llama AI. There's, there's an AI open source called llama. And I believe you can download it and load it onto a server. Um, and then I would train it on our information and I would I would make it so that only we, our company, had um, control over that system. It does. It's not. It's, it, there's no risk. I would eliminate the risk of it posting our proprietary or pri PII information out on the Internet. So. That's that's one big one right there. Um, compensating control is that I would se segregate the whole thing. SC controls. I would segregate the whole thing from OpenAI. I would not use OpenAI. I would use my own instance of of uh, AI. Number one. Another thing I would do is I would implement CM type controls, configuration management. Anytime there was a change to it, I would control the changes to it. In other words, we have to update it from time to time. I would make sure it was documented, how we configured it, how uh, what server it's on, because you got to. So now it's on a device, right? Now we've got to we've got to document every aspect of the device. We've got to document what kind of hardware it's on, 
So we, every now and then you got to update the hard the firmware on that system, those operating system on that on that box. You got to update. You've got to make sure it's protected. It's got to be behind a firewall. It's got to be. It's, it probably has to have a host base, uh, some kind of host base protection on it. Some kind of uh, endpoint protection on it. Some kind of antivirus. All those things need to be on that box. And then I would limit and strip out anything we didn't need. The law of least privilege. Law of least functionality and laws of least privilege. Uh, least functionality, we strip anything that doesn't any kind. We wouldn't have port 80 on it. We wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't have port 25 email on it. We wouldn't have FTP or whatever. All that stuff we close. Least functionality, least, least privilege. I would only allow certain people access to that system, especially to the back end of it. Only certain people would be able to be admins on that box. So now we've segregated it from on a separate network. So we have network protection on it. It's not, it's not on our regular network. It's not have, doesn't have any exposure to the internet. It's on a, on its own network, right? So that when we run those, when we run the queries on it, when we do uh, prompts on it, we can still use everything that's on that, but only we can use it and we control if, because we don't want our proprietary information, especially if you're the DOD or something, there's some secret stuff on it. And that's another thing. If it was classified, it'd have to be a classified system. Now it has to be on a classified network with all the classified stuff. Like it has to be, if it's, a, if it, <laughs> think about this. If it was, if it, if you had a, a AI system, a GPT type system that you controlled and it was using secret information, that means that box is now secret. If you're going to post secret stuff on it, if you're going to put secret names and secret, the secret stuff that you, you can't even say the name of it out loud. And if you type it into this system, now that system is classified. So now this whole box is classified. It's classified at the level of sensitivity that whatever the data is on it. So, yeah, so those are some of the things I would do. I would not use OpenAI. Um, on anything that needs some assurance. Like if you're, if it, like, if it's me, like I have a business, I use it all the time, but I'm not, I just use it to write books. I'm not putting any classified information on it. I'm not, you know, like I'm not putting any proprietary and from my own proprietary information on there. I'm not putting, like, I'm, I'm a one man show. I'm just putting my stuff on there, you know, not my critical information on there. So it depends on the level, the, the, the controls that I would apply depends on the level of impact um, to the organization. So just a, just a couple things to think about. Um, somebody says, what tool or software should I know for security, cybersecurity? It's a good question. I'm currently studying Security Plus. Um, in general... What things should you know as every cybersecurity person? Let's let's start off there, and then we'll kind of break it down into individual special special specializations, okay? Because cybersecurity has different specializations, and I can speak to a couple of them. Cybersecurity in general, I think every cybersecurity person should know basic operating system, um, basic operating system maintenance and and basics of navigating an operating system and that might sound obvious but you should know windows and you should know linux you should know and i'm not just talking about 
where to go in the GUI and the graphical user interface. I'm talking about command line interface. I think every cybersecurity person, not everybody does, but I think everyone should know how to use CMD. If you're on a Windows system and you go to run the little monocle, that little eyeglass at the bottom, and you type in CMD, you'll see a black screen. You need to know how to navigate in that black screen. Black screen. Um, you need to know the same thing on Linux. You need to know how to navigate the graphical user interface. And it doesn't matter which one. I would recommend either CentOS. I think you can still get that for free. CentOS is, a, is, a, is an exact copy of Red Hat Linux. I'm out of date with Linux, so I don't know if it's still an exact replica. But you should know Red Hat, but you can get CentOS and it looks just like it. You should know either that or you can know uh, Ubuntu. Um, another one that's good to mess around with is Kali Linux. Any of those would do, but I would I would highly recommend like Red Hat because most people that they kind of set the standard and the bar for all Linux systems. Know the graphical user interface, and then you, you should also know how to navigate, how to do command line interface on Linux, which is different from Windows. Every cybersecurity person should know that. Everyone, even if you just do policy stuff. Um, in my opinion, not everybody does, by the way. Um, you should know, I don't think you need to know programming, but it would really help if you know scripting. It really, really helps if you know something like uh, Python. If you know, if you know, even if you just mess around with it, you should at least be able to mess around with it so you understand. You just need to understand like how it works. You don't need to memorize uh, like all of it, but if you know how it works, that's really, really important. Um, and if you mess around with it a little bit, you start to get it. it. You start to understand how it works. Every cybersecurity person should know what a vulnerability is and should have some exposure to vulnerabilities. Every Everybody should know this. Now, I think you asked me about software and tools. I'm going to get to that. Everyone should know vulnerabilities. And if you don't, a good place to start, really a good place to start is your own computer. Whenever, if you're on a, a Microsoft systems or if you happen to be on a Mac system, every now and then you get these updates. Pay attention to the updates. When those updates pop up and it's got all this, this gibberish on there, research what that is. You could literally cop, you can just take it and put it into Google and it'll take you directly to where that vulnerability is. It's a vulnerability. Whenever your system updates, there's a vulnerability there. You could like start there. But another place you can go to to get really deep into vulnerabilities and what they are is something called um, CVEs, um, Common Vulnerability Exposure. I think that's the, man, I'm freaking, <sighs> let me see. I'm freaking getting old, man. I don't remember what CVEs stand for. <laughs> Common vulnerability. I we just call them CVEs. That's why I don't. I should know. I should know this. I'm trying to figure out what the acronym. Common vulner. Common vulnerabilities and exposures. Okay, I was close. So type in CVEs. That'll take you to like what they are. You need to know how to navigate at least my Windows and Linux. If you know Linux, you know you know the back end of of, um, of of Mac. So that's why I didn't mention Mac. Um, 
You said DOD. I'm in DOD and getting started. Okay, another thing. If you're in DOD, this right here is going to be important. There's a couple things I have for DOD. Um, you should do um, STIGs. Read up on what STIGs are. And you should probably read up on, uh, uh, it's called DOD 8500. And, um, and I'll get deeper into that in a second poems yeah that's another that's a whole nother lane but we're talking about in general what should a any cybersecurity person know we talked about operating systems at least unix i mean unix linux and um and microsoft the back ends command line interface vulnerabilities just know what they are and you should have an idea of what certain tools are um, certain tools like to protect your environment would be like a firewall. You should have some idea of what a firewall is, how they protect, how they work, not just what they are, but how it works, like a basic understanding of how it can, how different firewalls protect different ports across a network. Like that is important. Um, you should know uh, what an, IP, an IPS and an IDS is and how they work. You should know. Um, and uh, another thing you should know is network, how networks work. What is an internal network? What is an external network? And what is a DMZ? And there's a new concept called zero trust. You should know what those concepts are. Um, now, let's let's break down types of cybersecurity professionals, because we just talked about in general what every cybersecurity person should know. Um, another thing I'll throw in there is porch protocols and services. Ports, you should know basic ports, the top 25 basic ports. Um, you should know the difference between IPv6 and IPv4. Just a general understanding. You don't have to know how to route stuff just yet. That That's a really good thing to know. But how, how it works is more important. Like how networking works is really, really foundational to a cybersecurity person. It comes up from time to time. It just comes up. It's going to come up even if you're just a policy writer. You're going to be sitting in a technical meeting and you're going to be like, what the hell are they talking about? So you want to know what they're talking about. Right. And sometimes, hey, I have to Google stuff. I don't know. I'm not a subject matter expert on everything. So if I'm talking to the firewall guy, I'm not a firewall guy. They're going to have to educate me. on. I'm going to have to educate myself on that. So those are just basic things. Now, let me talk about a couple different areas of cybersecurity because it, it's a very broad umbrella and i'll just talk about three one we'll talk about and i'll just i'll keep it brief on each one one is one type of cybersecurity professional is a pen tester aka a hacker aka ethical hacker whatever you want to call it but they're they do pen testing another one would be what i do which is compliance which it sounds like you are oh you get your targeting position as a security control assessor. Okay, I'll do that one too. So there's a compliance person and then there's a, a let's call it an assessor. And there's many other aspects of cybersecurity we won't touch on, but I just want to give you an idea of how different these things are. Like we didn't talk about, we didn't talk about SOC analysts or security control um, and, and analysts. We didn't talk about, there's many, many, many other areas to focus on, but we're going to just focus on these three. And I'll just give you a brief thing of what each one should know and like what tools they should have and kind of an idea. The first one we talked about was pen testing. So a pen tester 
Um, at the very least, the pen testers are very, very technical. Like they really need to know scripting. That this this is an aspect of cybersecurity. If you are a pen tester, you should really know scripting. There's certain tools you should know. Hacker tools. One is called Kali Linux. You really, really need to know that one. You need to really know Linux well. Um, you need to know scripting. You need to know Kali Linux. You need to know things like Nmap. You need to know things like uh, what's Incat. Incat. Uh, you need to know like little tools like that that are going to help you um, to do what you need to do. You need to know what's called the MITRE attack framework is going to be really helpful to you. Um, things like kill chains, um, some of the tools, tactics, and techniques of a hacker. Those are the kinds of things that you need to know as a hacker. Now, I'm not, I'm not a hacker, so I there's I'm sure there's many other things for pen testers to know. I'm not a pen tester, so those are just off the top of my head some of the things I I noticed that that career field like if you do that you need to know. Now, the thing I do, which is compliance, compliance right at the top of my head. It depends on what framework you use. In other words, if you're in the hospital, they have a different framework. If you are in financial sector, they have a different framework. And if you're in the government, you have a different framework and on and on and on. Like there's retail, there's manufacturing industries, there's all these different industries. They have different laws and different industry standards that they have to abide by in order to be compliant with certain federal laws. Um, if you happen, to, I'll just speak on the federal space because that's my specialty. I know some of the other ones, but this one I really know deeply. Off the top of my head in just a couple minutes, if you if you uh, are in the federal space and you're a compliance person, you need to know a NIST 800, NIST 837, and NIST 853, FIPS 200, and FIPS 199. FedRAMP is based off of what I just said. That's why it's better to just know FIPS. If you know, if you know NIST 837, and, and NIST, if you know, uh, have a good understanding of the control families in the NIST 853, you got it. Like you, 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 you can nail it. Like if you have a good understanding of each one of those things, it, it's, it's a little bit of reading, but if you know those, you'll know it's foundational. You'll know how to do Department of Defense. You'll know how to you know how to work with DISA and all the different branches of the military. All of them have different names for this stuff, but it's all the same thing. It's NIST 837 and NIST 853 and FIPS 200 and FIPS 199. If you understand that, you can very quickly pick up all their stupid jargon that the freaking jarheads have that's different from the freaking uh, seamen have that's different from the airmen. And it's different from the army. Like you'll know, you'll just get it. And then FedRAMP, easy because it's all based off FIPS. Uh, it's it's different. Like they, it's a use of NIST 837 differently, but it's pretty much the same thing. And then the other one I said was uh, that we talked about briefly that you need to know is cybersecurity group of um, assessors, security control assessors. Auditors, whatever. There's different names for them, but there's valid. They call them validators, assessors, and and different. What's frustrating is that different industries have different names for them, and then they do slightly different things. Like a validator, uh, there's there's different kinds of validators in the federal government, in the Department of Defense, by the way. So <laughs> it, we're just talking about assessors, right? Let's just keep it like assessor. 
What does an assessor really need to know? Now, this one's tricky because an assessor, you can have an assessor who just looks at policy. You could have an assessor who's a network expert, a subject matter expert on that. You can have assessors who just run scans. But at the very least, some tools that every assessor is going to have to have some kind of understanding is a scanning tool. The scanning tool that the government uses is Tenable. Um, so I would know Tenable, Nessus, but other scanning tools will work, will help you out too. Somebody says, I want to get into cybersecurity, but it seems so boring, but I think I would be super helpful. I think it would be super helpful. Um, yeah, so this is not like, if you want exciting, you know, like this is not, like if you want to get paid, this is where you want to be. But if you, if you, <laughs> if you're trying to go for excitement, maybe be, be a skateboarder or something like that's exciting. You know, go to go race cars. That's pretty exciting. Go. <laughs> I mean, I guess, you know, hackers, the hacking is, is pretty exciting, but you got to be very, very skilled for that. Like you, that's hackers, like an hackers are like an like artists. They, they, they're, they're very creative. Like it's, it's a, it's a combination of technical know-how and a creative space. So I don't know, uh, going back to our original topic. So some of the tools you need to know as a, as a, as an assessor, well, I would, I would know the security control families, NIST 853 is going to be the family of controls is going to be very important because you're going to have to assess those. The families of whatever, whatever security framework you're using is going to be super important. So there's PCI, there's QSAs who do PCI compliance. Um, there's, you know, Sarbanes-Oxley analysts, and they're going to have to know that compliance. So for a government, you're going to have to know NIST 853 families um, and how to assess those things, like an understanding of like how you as assess those things. Um, a breakdown of like different artifacts you would need to get, like documentation, security policies, all that kind of stuff. Um, what else do they need to know? I already talked about scanning tools. Um, those are the main things. There's a ton of other. That's a real. You could write a whole. I wrote writ. I wrote a whole book about that. <laughs> um, wrote up a whole book about that. So um, that's a whole another topic. Anyway, um, let me see if I have any other questions here. Let me see. Sabrina says, good evening. I graduated in December with a BS in cybersecurity management and policy, but I noticed most jobs ask for a technical degree, for technical degrees. Um, should I get a master's degree in information technology? No. And I'm going to tell you why in a second. All right. So here's why. Most this I'm just telling you this from my experience. All right. I'm a cybersecurity person. Um, my background is mostly Department of Defense and federal government, but I've done some private sector as well. What I noticed is whenever they get these contracts with the government, whenever a small company or medium, large size company gets these contracts with the government or with a large organization, or even if it's B2B, like this Verizon is doing a business move with Telnex or whoever. 
they usually are looking for in the contract. They'll usually say we they that they want uh, somebody with a BS in uh, some kind of technical degree. And they don't specify the type of degree. And here's the, here and here's what's the result. They're, they will usually take. And I'm just speaking from experience. They'll usually take anybody with a STEM degree and some actual experience with computers. STEM means science, technology, engineering, mathematics. Now, I know this from experience because my coworkers, a lot of times, by the way, I have an information technology degree. I have a BS in information technology. Um, but I've worked with some of my peers will have a double E, an, an electrical engineering degree, but they also were a help desk guy or a system engineer guy or a firewall guy somewhere. Um, I've worked with people who had... Uh, computer science degrees. I work with people who had information uh, information systems degrees. Um, cybersecurity is actually a great degree to have to put on your resume because it's a keyword. So actually, you're you're way ahead of a lot of people. Um, what you want to have in addition to your degree, to, to your awesome degree, is experience. The experience part is what gets most people. Um, and when I say experience, I mean, like, did you work at where you were working student at your college? Where did you do help desk? Did you what kind of technical hands on did you have? And that's the stuff that really is going to sell you. The degree kind of gets you in the door. Uh, for a lot of high paying jobs, but what's going to sell it, what's going to put you above most other applicants is going to be your experience. And that's what gets a lot of people because we 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 focus a lot on when I say we you know uh, the workforce us normal folks will focus a lot on the degree or the certification or what have you, but that piece of paper kind of knocks down the door like it gets you in the runnings, but what's going to sell it is going to be your experience. That's why like if you have help desk background, if you have a, a background in any kind of hands on background even if you have a policy background that's even better like if you have a policy background where you did policy at a hospital doing hipaa and guiding the company to do x y and z that's a really good um experience even if you didn't have hands-on um you wrote policies for that company that's experience you need to put on her what trips people up is that they don't realize that cybersecurity itself um you gotta put cybersecurity experience on your on your degree now if you have on your on your resume i'm sorry in your, on your resume you got to put the cybersecurity experience and highlight that on your resume uh, meaning put it on the top put it like emphasize all the security stuff you've done now if you have no experience like if you have a degree you have no and i don't know your background sabrina but i'm just kind of um spitballing this so if you have let i'm assuming you have no experience right let's say you have no experience but you have a bachelor's degree now you just want to get yourself in the door of any information technology job um any kind of job uh is gonna is gonna get you that experience and you having a degree uh you could probably apply for an internship if you have no experience at all you could apply for an apprenticeship the government's really, really looking for folks with your uh, background. So you should really look into that. Um, let me see. I'm currently an AI, an, an IAM 
analyst? That's an information assurance manager, or is that a uh, identification and authentication manager? Which one? Which one is it? Um, it said, what path would you recommend I transition to? So I'm assuming you mean the popular uh, phrase for IAM is an identification and authentication manager. And what path do I recommend? Um, identity. Oh, identity and access management. I, I apologize. <laughs> identity and access management. I'm showing my ignorance here. Um, so, identity and access management. Um, what you could, what you could probably, what I would do if I was in. Do you have any cloud experience? Do you, if do you have any cloud experience? So in identity and access management, you already have cybersecurity experience. So I would highlight all the all the cybersecurity experience. Oh, you said yes. Oh shit. I would, <laughs> I would either do I would okay, here's what you do. No, I'm about to hook you up. Okay, here's what you do. You're gonna put all the cloud experience you have and all the cybersecurity stuff you have on your resume. Now, if you're not sure how to do a resume, like how to word it, how how it should be formed. It doesn't have to be pretty. You can download my free resume right now. Absolutely free, free of charge. Just download my resume. You get an idea what an ATS style resume is because that's what you need. ATS style just stands for application tracking software, meaning the resume is in a is in a format that's very simple. So when you when you upload it to LinkedIn, when you upload it to Dice, when you upload it to Monster and all these other sites that you're gonna, you should put your resume in all those places. Once you've updated it with your cybersecurity and cloud stuff, you need to um, put in an ATS style resume because it'll feed into the ATS tracking software that these companies have. All right, so that's out of the way. Download my free stuff, and it'll give you an idea of what it looks like. And there's a bunch of other stuff that comes with that free. You said I have an AWS Solutions Architect associate uh, associate certification as well as Security Plus. Yeah, so check this out. So I would emphasize all your cloud experience, all your security experience, anything you've done. Now, if you don't know what to put on your resume. You can download my resume, but the best place you can look, the best place, the best resource is LinkedIn. Go to LinkedIn and then type in, there's a couple things you can do. You can type in uh, cloud entry level, cloud entry level, or just, or you could actually type in the, the certification that you have, you could actually just put in the certification that you have for cloud and then look for don't look for jobs just yet. Look for people. Look for people who have posted their resume and look what they put on their resume. Now, you're not trying to copy the resume word for word. What you're trying to do is look at what kind of things are selling, like what kind of how did they word what they do? And it'll give you an idea of like what you can put on your resume. You'll, you'll be looking through the resume, I promise you this, and you'll be like, I've done this, and then you'll put that on your resume. Oh, okay, this is how you word it. The reason why it's important to do this is because the algorithm is picking up the people who are on the top of their game for that particular um, set of skills. Um, 
like I said, I wouldn't just look for cloud. I would also type in security plus. You have a security plus, I'll type in security plus. And then look again, look for people who have that, who also have the certification. Also, you can look for cybersecurity entry level if you're trying to do cybersecurity, cloud entry level. Those are just keywords that you could type in to look for people that have who are in the same level as you, who where you are where you want to be. And then look through their resume and look for keywords. Look how they how they word stuff and put that on your resume. And then you, your question was, what path should you take? Follow the money. Once you post your resume, you're going to be contacted. Now, you need to post it on Monster, on LinkedIn, on Indeed, on Dice, on CareerBuilder, on ZipRecruiter, on all of them, all of them, okay, as many as possible. Take time. to. It's going to take you some time. You need to fill out the entire profile, each one of these. It's going to take time to do it. You need to upload your upload your ATS-style resume. Once you complete it, upload your ATS-style resume. Another thing you can do if you want to really improve your resume is like what I told somebody else is to run it through ChatGPT. Put your whole resume in there and say, hey, I want to be a cybersecurity person. How can I make this resume, copy-paste, become a cybersecurity um, entry level or a cloud entry level position and it'll do it. It'll give you some ideas. It'll give you some ideas like you don't want to take and copy and paste exactly what ChatGPT does because it'll just make some shit up. But it'll give you an idea of what kind of how you want to word the things you actually have done. Now once you have your resume, you post it on all these different sites, you you're posting on all these places and everything, you're gonna start getting contacted by certain people. And all I'm telling you to do is follow through. These screeners are going to contact you. Now don't don't Fall for the first thing you see, because you're going to get some some offers. You're going to get some some uh, people contacting you, some opportunities that sound good. But as soon as you get talking to them, you know, you'll you figure out, OK, this is not for me. Right. So you want to you're screening them as much as they're screening you. So don't be like, oh, get all excited and give them your, you know, your updated resume right away or give them your freaking social and they ask you they're gonna ask you for your social and shit don't give them that shit don't don't do that <laughs> don't you can give me a resume but like don't put like you know what i'm saying just they're screening you you don't know who these people are you're trying to evaluate even if they're real like you don't even know half these months it's not even gonna be real okay so you need to screen these people and they're screening you you're gonna get to a point where you're getting some good stuff and you're going to be talking to the screener. It's going to sound good. They're going to send you to the next level of like an actual interview. And then that's where the real magic starts to happen when you get the actual interviews. So that's when you're going to follow the money. Like the person who offers the most with the best situation, because not every situation that I get is the best. Like sometimes I'll be offered and this sounds great, but I'll be offered like 95 an hour. But it's I have to live in New York. Like, I'm not living in New York. I live in Colorado. I'm not living in New York. Now, it's not an option for me. I don't care how much money they give me, right? So, I mean, maybe if they gave me like a million, <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know how much the number is, but I'm not moving to freaking New York. So not every number is good for you. Look for the best situation, not just the number, right? Like follow the money, but the money for the best situation. Like for me, I'll take a pay cut if they'll let me work remotely. You know, I already have money on the side coming in, so I don't need 200000 a year. You know what I mean? So 
Um, I'll make up the other hundred thousand myself, right? Let's just give me like, just give me a hundred. I'll be, I, I can make up the rest. Like, give me, give me 130, give me 140, whatever the price is or whatever it is. So follow the money. That's what be, that's the path you should take. If cloud is going to pay you more, go that way. If security pays you more, go that way. Whatever the case is, you want to specialize. It sounds like you're already specialized, which is great. Identity and access management is no joke. So that you're already on the right path. If Hey, and listen to this. If IAM pays you more, follow that path. If it's a better situation and they pay you more, man, stay where you are. And then, and then make that money in a better situation. That would be my advice. I hope that helps. Um, somebody said, um, your book, Cybersecurity Jobs 3 in 1 Value Bundle, uh, has been a game changer. The resume tips alone are fire. Um, I've been getting calls from almost every job I apply for. Damn. That feels good, man. Thanks. Thanks for that, Tippy. Make sure you put that in the in the um, comments on Amazon. You know, um, that makes me feel good, man, because that the stuff I wrote in that book, really, it's really helped me for years. And nobody people don't really buy that book. So people don't really buy it. And I'm just like, damn, you know, that, that's that's probably my best game right there. And people just don't care about that book. <laughs> you know, like this is my best game. But. I don't know. Whatever, right? They just want the 800, missed 800 stuff. Where can I get a copy? So right now it's it's on my site. Combo courses, no, the bundle's not on the on the site. You can buy the both books on the site, combocourses.com, or you can go to um, um, Amazon and type in what's the name? What's the name of the book? It's um, Cybersecurity Jobs. If you if you type in Cybersecurity Jobs. Three in one, you'll find a bundle. It has it's actually a it's actually three books in one. It tells you how to market your how to create your resume from scratch, how to how to market that resume, put it all over the place, and then it also another book tells you like breaks down cybersecurity. Like a lot of people contact me and say, man, how can I get in cybersecurity? And what they mean is. They don't like that's the wrong question. Like what part of cybersecurity? So in the next book, I break down what parts of cybersecurity and some of the keywords and some how much money each one makes and like what kind of certification. Basically, all the questions I'm answering here is in that book. And then I, in the other book, I talk about like how I've been able to do this uh, working from home. That's and that's a very short read and how like what you put on your resume, like what kind of jobs do you know you look for what kind of things do you do to get these jobs stuff like because i've been working like i've been doing this since 2014 yeah damn it's been a while huh damn i've been doing this since 2014 working from home crazy and in the book i explain all that kind of stuff and the market's kind of changing like i'm gonna have to use some new tools to uh to find the next time i get a i go for another job I'm going to use a whole nother set of tools and kind of retool everything I've been doing. But everything I've done so far has been working for the last since 2014. I've been doing this, making six figures, working from home. It's not every job is going to be six figures. Right. But like I said, take the highest paying job for what you want to do. I would take. I mean, I would take a, a significantly lower amount 
if I can work from home. <laughs> just as me. But uh, it just so happens that I can make really good money working from home. So you know, that's what I do is take them to the highest amount. Um, the folks that, that take care of me the best, that's where I go. Um, let me see. As a system admin, I do not want exciting. Amen. Uh, the more boring things are, the better. And I know my network is safe. Man, this man knows what he's talking about. This the People like this have been in this field for a while. They're not looking for exciting. This, people like this know what the hell's going on. Sippy talks like that. This man, this man knows he's talking. This, this person right here has been doing this for a while because that's exactly right. You don't want in IT and cybersecurity, you don't want exciting. Right? You can you can have excitement at home playing your video games. <laughs> you don't want it at your job. Trust me, I've been in exciting environments and it is it's exciting, but it's not fun. Because especially in cybersecurity, like if it's exciting, it's something is wrong. Something is really wrong if it's exciting. Because it can get real crazy real quick with cybersecurity. I'm talking about, you probably like, what are you talking about? I'm talking about uh, places getting hacked. I'm talking about people accidentally leaking information. I'm talking about insider threats. I'm talking about security incidents where the whole organization, you know, our whole livelihood is at stake, right? Like that's exciting, but it's not fun, man. It's very stressful and people lose their minds when it comes to cybersecurity because everybody's livelihood is at stake. And if we don't have our ducks in the row before the thing happens, it's even worse, man. Um, okay. Kobe J says, or Kobe? Kobe J says, um, are there jobs for information system security officer in the public sector? This is a great, it's a great question. Um, so yes, but they're not called information system security officers. So an information system security officer is specific to that term is specific to um, the federal government. And there are a few jobs in the public sector for for ISOs. But the issue is that some a lot of the jobs, like I'd say 70, 80 percent of the jobs need some kind of a clearance um, and and direct government access to systems. That said, there are GRC type positions that are very similar to to ISO positions that are doing the same thing, but with a different industry standard, if that makes any sense. So giving a couple, couple examples, um, like hospitals have like a HIPAA compliance person um, or HIPAA IT people where they're not necessarily fixing the actual systems, but they're making sure that the system is HIPAA compliant. So they might have to do a little bit of vulnerability assessments or they might have to do, they might have to work with the vulnerability team or the system engineers or the system admins or something, but they're not hands-on, but they're doing a lot of meetings. So healthcare has its own ISO type person. It's usually like a HIPAA compliance officer or something like that. Um, financial sector has a similar person who would do 
depends on what they're doing. But Sarbanes-Oxley, it would be somebody who is a Sarbanes-Oxley compliance person. So typically called like other names for this position would be compliance officer is one of the names. Um, I've, I've heard it called um, cybersecurity compliance um, or sometimes even general like information technologies, uh, information security um, professional or something like that. It'll be a generic name, but they'll be doing in the job description. It'll typically be somebody who is managing the compliance of the organization. It'll be something like that. So there's equivalent to an ISO in, in different industries. Another example would be in retail. You would have something called like um, you'd have a PCI DSS officer or a PCI DSS compliance person, something like that. Or, or a PCI DSS subject matter expert would be another name. But the, the, these are the equivalent of an ISO. But an ISO, like that term, usually is somebody who's doing something directly with the federal government. So it's not technically in the public sector. So not not typically, but there's there's equivalent in the public sector who do this kind of stuff. I know it's because I've worked with those people in the last job I had. Uh, I was working in the public sector for Verizon and we did uh, cybersecurity, um, cybersecurity risk um, uh, analysis. And we would work. I would be working with somebody who is the equivalent of a of an ISO. But they would be working in the financial sector or they'd be working in whatever sector we were working with, you know, at the time. And um, that person would be a compliance person, but it would be for DSS, PCI DSS or from whatever, for whatever compliance the standard they're doing. Um, let's see other questions. And I'm about to wrap this up. I've already been talking for about <laughs> for about uh, two hours. And thank you guys for hanging out with me. I really appreciate it from week after week. I don't know if I'll be able to do this next week, by the way. I got a trip coming. I'll try to do these on my vacation because these are kind of like fun for me. Um, but sometimes I just get really busy with work and stuff I got to do here at home. I can't, you know, always do these, but I'm, I would like to do these while I'm on my trip. Um, let me see. Somebody says, where can I Get your book. Amazon doesn't have it. Uh, do you have an ebook? Amazon does have this book. <laughs> I promise you, Amazon has this book. But if you want to buy it directly from me, uh, the soft copy of it, the ebook of it, um, you can go to. Actually, let me show you. I'll show you a couple places you can buy it. Um, let's start with Amazon. Start with Amazon. And I'm going to type in cyber security um, jobs three in one. Okay, let me show you what I'm talking about here. Oh, I see. You couldn't find it. Okay, with that. Okay, I can. I can help. I can help there. Oops. Oh, yeah, it, it is really hard to find. I'll be damned. Okay, give me a second here. Security. Jobs, three and one. Give me a second here. I will find it. 
Okay, here it is right here. I'll show you two different places where you can go to find this. Come courses. Um combo courses. I need to be better about um, making the stuff like readily available. Maybe I start putting it in my description or something like that. Um, all courses. Uh, yep. Okay. Yep. Here we go. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Let me show you my screen. Flip the screen. Okay, so there's, there it is on my site. If you're interested in buying it on the site, there it is right there. Combo courses. You just go to combocourses.com. Actually, let me just go to the first page here. So when you first go to combocourses.com, it's going to look like this. And then you'll go all the way down to all courses. All the way down to the bottom, all courses. And then you'll see templates. You can download free stuff, all kinds of, of stuff. And the one you want is this one, cybersecurity jobs three in one. And then you can also just go to Amazon. There it is right there. It has the work from home. It's got the career paths, and then it's got the actual first book that I wrote on this. I was going to do four books, but nobody's interested, so I was like, man, fuck it. <laughs> so here's the one on uh, Amazon. Um, it's got a paperback, a hardcover that you can order. It's a three-in-one, same same deal. You get those things. If you guys don't mind, like leave some, leave some stars on there. Um... I get great, great reviews on this book, but there it is right there. That's the full name of it right there. Cybersecurity Jobs 3-in-1, Resume Writing, Paths. And it also has a, uh, I'm still working on it, um, uh, an audio book. I have the audio book done, but they they keep kicking it back on me. But you can buy the books individually on audiobook. All the books are there. Uh, on Audible, if you're interested in that. But there's the book right there. This book, um, it was like the first set of books that I wrote. And so it's uh, it's really breaking down like how I was able to do this, how I've been able to do this for a long time, uh, where I'm working from home and, and breaking down the whole you can the stuff that I'm telling talking about in this book is very practical. And once you start reading it, you'll be like, it'll just a light bulb will go off in your head. You can really use what I what I do in this book. You can really use it for anything. If you're in the medical industry, you can use the same ideas that I use in this book for um the financial sector. Like it this the stuff I did will work anywhere. And and it just over the over time, I just learned to do this and it just it just works. So. Um, yeah, so a couple people who have contacted me back and said, man, I got I, I use this book, the first book, not even the other three, uh, the other two. I mean, um, the first book. 
I somebody read that book or went through the I have a, like a course that breaks it all down. And they said they went through it and, and they ended up making got a couple offers for six figures. And it works, man. It just it just works. Um, and it's, there's a downloadable of my resume and everything. And uh, I don't know, like I, I really the stuff that really sells, the stuff that really people want me to talk about is really the NIST 800 type stuff and compliance. And but I get a lot of questions on this stuff right here, but there's a whole book and it walks you through everything. So, yeah, there it is right there. Um, I think that's it, guys. I've been talking for over two hours. Thank you so much. I really appreciate everybody who's been who's been joining me. And um, I will see you guys next time. I'll try to do this next week. I'll definitely do some when I'm on my trip going overseas for a bit. I'll do I'll try to maybe take time to just answer comments. Like if I could just sit down and stop moving around and just answer comments, which I've been wanting to do, but I'm just been constantly busy. Um, and that's it, guys. Thank you so much for watching. Thanks for buying the book. The book is the book. The other books are doing really good. So that's really great. I mean, I guess it I guess it works. <laughs> so I'm blown away by it myself. But uh, all right, guys, that's it. Thank you for watching. Peace.